0: Dr. Luke gives us such a precise historical set of informations in today's text. One can certainly locate the place, the time when all of this is happening by tracking the people of power who are given in these few verses of chapter 3 of Luke's gospel. But that's not where I've been led to take us this morning. Dr. Luke also gives us a powerful metaphor of preparation written hundreds of years earlier by the prophet Isaiah. I have preached that metaphor on a few occasions as it imagines for us the extent of preparation God desires for people to know his son, the Messiah, who he sent in Jesus. I will give a mention to that metaphor at the end of the message this morning. Today I want to take a phrase from the sentences written by Dr. Luke in verse 3 where he describes succinctly what John's baptism is all about. Luke says that John is preaching, and I would add practicing, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. I want to drill down into that with you this morning as we prepare for both the birth of the Christ in Bethlehem and for the birth and perhaps the rebirth or growth of his birth in our lives in profound and practical ways today. John's baptism was meant for people to find peace with God personally. Today's message is about finding the beginnings of that peace. Pray with me, if you would. Holy Father, speak to us. Use my words as you will, but truly anoint all of our ears and our minds and our hearts to receive what you want us to hear and do from today's scripture. We pray this in the name of Jesus, your Son, the Christ. Amen. So we jump right in to John's baptism. John's baptism was an immersion. Every part of the person was to be immersed, and this is no easy task in Israel, believe me. Israel is an arid land. It is a land short on water. As I've said before, it was the size of New Jersey. It is the size of New Jersey, but it has only one river. And it flows only a short way before it goes into the Dead Sea, the River Jordan. And it's not much of a river at all. I think most of us would call it a stream and at times a creek. So the New Testament times were very difficult because there was no water. The rich people had to dig deep wells to get to water. And then it was retrieved only by buckets on the end of very, very long ropes. Most people had to travel great distances to get water. And it was always downhill with an empty bucket to the Jordan. All of which, hear me now, all of which flows below sea level. The Sea of Galilee is over 800 feet below sea level. The Dead Sea is the lowest place on the surface of the earth, over 1,300 feet below sea level. The Jordan flows in that range. You have to go down a long ways to get to the water and then to fill the bucket. To be immersed in water in Israel meant many buckets on long ropes or many miles to get to the Jordan where John was doing his baptizing. So to be immersed in the baptism of John was not a convenient thing. It has become so convenient for us, has it not? Turn on a faucet. We trouble when it's hard to turn it on. We trouble when it doesn't turn off completely. But there it is. We all have it in our homes or our apartments. Wherever we live, wherever we work, we can get to water so easily. It was not the case in Israel. But it was essential that the entire body be immersed in the waters of repentant baptism. Why immersion? Because sin permeates every part of our being. The mouth that will declare God in worship also speaks curses and lies and judgments on others. The ears that listen to the scriptures being read and may nod or bow or praise... Also listen to the godless programs on television and the internet which feed mind with shameful thoughts and images. The eyes that gaze upon God's beautiful creation also feed the heart with all manner of lust and greed. The hands that can mend and embrace also act in violence toward others and in defiance of God's commands. The feet that bring us to worship also carry us to places of darkness where secret sins are practiced. If I'm going to be prepared for the coming of the Lord, I must recognize that my whole being, my whole body participates in sin. And to come to peace with God and within myself, my whole body needs to be immersed in this baptism of John, this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. If you don't sense that in a deep way, you're living in denial. It's our human life to have this struggle. The baptism of John was an immersion. The baptism of John was also a confession. The sin and the sins of people's lives were confessed in Mark's gospel and The first chapter, verse 5, we read, The whole Jordan countryside and all the people of Jerusalem. Now, I think he's a little hyperbolic in this. I don't think everybody came. But they went out to him, that is John the Baptist, confessing their sins, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. There is little that is more frightening than to confess the reality of one's failures, one's disobedience. One sins. Several decades ago, a Kansas man named Al Johnson came to faith in Jesus Christ. What made his story remarkable was not so much his conversion, though that is a remarkable thing that God does in our lives. But the fact that as a result of his newfound faith in Christ, he confessed to a bank robbery he had participated in when he was 19 years old. Because the statute of limitations in the case had run out, he could not be prosecuted for the offense. But he felt that now knowing Christ, he needed to come clean with his past. And so he confessed the robbery, and he made amends. Al voluntarily repaid his share of the stolen money in the bank robbery. There is nothing Nothing that is more freeing or more exhilarating, more peace dispensing than to have confessed one's sins. It's finally out. It can finally be dealt with. I don't have to live with this anxiety, this pain, this guilt, this shame. I can be set free. It's amazing, but it's hard. It's hard to confess. In the 12-step program, this begins in step four. In the making of a searching and fearless moral inventory, which gets us in touch with failure in our lives. It can't be done in a moment. It's a process. It takes time to deeply go into our history. The 12 steps continue with step five, admitting to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. And in step six, to become entirely ready to have God remove these defects from our lives. And in step seven, to humbly ask God to remove these shortcomings, for only God can do that. And in step eight, to make a list of all persons we had harmed and becoming willing to make amends to them all. And in step nine, making direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Six of the 12 steps of the 12-step program are about the baptism of John. About the confession, repentance, and amend-making of wrongs we have done. That baptism of John, those steps four through nine of the 12-step program, help us prepare For the fresh coming of the Lord in our lives. And the beginning of real peace. Internal peace. The baptism of John was an immersion. The baptism of John was a confession. And the baptism of John was a cleansing. Sins were washed away because you didn't get into a pool like we have a couple of pools. We have an interesting dry pool and a wet pool. I won't get into that. But we have water that's pretty stationary. You get into the Jordan, the water's moving. It's meant to carry those sins away, and it deposits them in the Dead Sea, where nothing grows. Forgiveness was granted, and it was celebrated, and the Lord was now anticipated, preparing the way, making rough ways smooth again. Some of you may remember Terry Anderson. This was during the Carter administration in our country. He was a journalist. He was held as hostage in Lebanon for 2,454 days. Very few people knew at the time that he'd been raised in the Catholic Church, but he had not been a practicing Catholic for many years. A Bible was given to him early in his captivity, and he later wrote that it came to him as a gift from heaven. He began to read, and he pondered it, and he pondered his life in the reading of it. He began a litany of confession in his mind. He confessed that he had hurt his first wife and daughter, that he'd been a very arrogant person. He wasn't sure, in fact, he was more sure than not sure, that people didn't like him very much. He wasn't sure he liked himself very much. Over a year into his captivity, he became aware that He was not alone. There were other hostages who were in cells separate from him, but in the same area of the confinement. One was a priest, Father Lawrence Jenko. He asked his captors, after discovering this, if he could see the priest. I'm a Catholic, he said. I want to make a confession. My friends, our Catholic brothers and sisters have something right in the confessional. Confessing our sins is absolutely necessary to rid our lives of those things as memory and as practice. His wish was granted. Father Jenko came into his cell. Anderson said he hardly knew where to begin. It had been 25 years since he'd made his last confession. Oh, when's the last time we made our last confessions? Father Jenko was encouraging. And Anderson began reciting to this priest the sins he had been reflecting upon. There was much to confess, and he gives a list, I will not go through it. But he confessed. He owned up to his behaviors, or failures to act. He found it a very emotional experience, wouldn't we all? When he finished, both he and Father Jenko were in tears in the cell. Father Jenko then laid his right hand upon Anderson's head and did what God does. He said, In the name of a gentle, loving God, you are forgiven. Hallelujah. Isn't it great? It's available to each of us and to all of us together. But if we don't own up, if we don't confess, We're hanging on to it and not letting it go to God who forgives it. Self-reflection had grown within Terry out of the darkness of his hostage encounter. It was time to face the light. It was time in his life to make a turn. His confession led him to forgiveness, and forgiveness led him to a change of life. That leads to the next point. The baptism of John was an immersion. The baptism of John was a confession. The baptism of John was a cleansing. The baptism of John was life-changing. The sins were not to be repeated. Life was to change. They were washed away. Repentance meant a new direction for life. Listen to what happens next in Luke's gospel, chapter 3, beginning of verse 7. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Now that's heavy preaching. Ah. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. There's the point. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? the crowd asked. John answered, The man with two tunics should share with him who has none. And the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors came to him to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. And it was from some of those who were baptized by John for repentance and the forgiveness of their sins, those who became John's disciples and companions, that Jesus chose to follow him for the next three years. Their lives had been truly changed. They were prepared to meet, receive, and follow the one who had come, the one John pointed to and said, That's him. That's the one. The baptism of John was an immersion. The baptism of John was a confession. The baptism of John was a cleansing. The baptism of John was life-changing. And the baptism of John was necessary, but not enough. The whole point of John's baptism was to prepare people, not complete them. John's baptism, repentance, is necessary for what would be enough. The coming of the Lord and the full peace that comes from his salvation in our lives. That's what completes. That's what fills us up. Confession empties us out. But if we don't get filled up with God in the process, more bad stuff is just going to come back in. We need more confession then. John in his baptism pointed to one greater than himself, with a baptism greater than repentance. It pointed to Jesus who would baptize, that is, immerse the entire person inside and out, cleansing with the fire of the Holy Spirit of God. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins is a personal way to prepare for the coming of the Lord. It's God's way for us to enter the peace that he brings. The section written from Isaiah that Dr. Luke quotes reads this. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight. The rough ways smooth. And all people we'll see God's salvation. Listen to this application of that. A straight path for my life begins as a result of repentance. The tragedies experienced in the valley of failure are raised up by the mercy of the Lord, who both forgives and renews. The mountaintop of arrogance that so often comes with success is brought low by the realization That any success has come from God because God has allowed it to be so. There was work to do and strength to do it, yes, but both of those come from God and make it possible for us. The crooked path made by my own inability to stay focused and disciplined is straightened as I fix my eyes on Jesus and follow the straight path that he leads me on. And the potholes made by lack of attention and care to the details of living for Christ are recognized and repaired by the spiritual road gang of Bible study and prayer and the companions of faith that I live and walk with. That's how Isaiah's prophecy gets lived out practically in our lives. David writes in Psalm 24, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false, he will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God, his Savior. Here's the questions I wrestle with Is my soul honoring God first and above all? Is ours? Are our motives pure? Is our mouth speaking the truth in love, or is it harsh? Are we doing what is right? Let us each and all prepare to celebrate the coming of the Lord this season by immersing in confession for a cleansing that is life-changing, knowing that while this is necessary, it is not enough we still need to be filled up with the Son of God by the Holy Spirit in order to find purpose and peace, which he came to bring. This, my friends, is the good news. May we by it become good news in our world for those we're close to and for those we meet and work with and go to class with. Inspiring them to follow Jesus, the waymaker. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the baptism of John. May it be our baptism as well to prepare for Jesus' fresh coming in our lives. May the peace of Jesus overwhelm the annoyances and distractions of life and help us to be the peacemakers he desires in his name. Amen.